Louisiana Keep a running tally of the things you will not find And catch her Because the party starts nightly and nothing new reverses adverse conditions. Cancerelli. 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 I'm 
I say Cause the world's getting small Each passing day As always, such great music put together for our congregation. My name is Katia Fort Roden, and my pronouns are she and her. I am a member of your Board of Trustees, and it is my honor and pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is upon their land that we reside, that we here in Columbia reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. I want to express my gratitude to all within our community who continue to strive to keep us connected and to provide meaningful worship services during this unusual and trying time. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests who are watching the service today. We are now in hybrid mode. So we hope that you will join us as you're able at the Owen Brown Interface Center so that, so that we may have a chance to meet and welcome you in person. A few announcements. Last fall, UUCC's Board of Trustees launched a group relations workshop committee that was charged with developing and implementing a facilitated congressional workshop, congregational workshop, open to all UUCC members and friends on the topics of relationship building, reconciliation, and trust building. Our goal is to hold the workshop in the spring. The committee is accepting donations at this time to help fund the costs of the workshop. 
including hiring a professional facilitator who will lead our workshop discussions. Learn more in the committee's latest good governance blog post on the UUC website. The board is hosting a series of congregational conversations on three open questions. Opportunities for a community to practice visionary, deep and future oriented thinking together. You are invited to stay after today's service and join in a 30 minute virtual small group discussion facilitated by your board members, including myself. The questions we are engaging with this morning is, how shall we become a congregation inspired to work within our community for environmental justice? If you're interested in attending, please stay after service and you will be placed in a virtual breakout group. The UUCC Climate Crisis Team invites you to join us at the Community Ecology Institute at the Freetown Farm on Saturday, February 26th from 11 to 1 p.m. for a farm and garden volunteer activity. This activity is for all ages, so bring your family and friends. If you're interested in participating, please connect with Mary Rogers and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Katya. Good morning, UUCC and friends and guests, those who are with us remotely and those who are here in the room. It's very good to be with you today. My name is Paige Getty. 
I use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is my great privilege to serve as minister of this congregation. If you're here in the sanctuary this morning and need a hearing assist device, those are available from the sound booth in the back. You can find the order of service online if you want to follow along. It's, there's a link probably in the chat and also a QR code that's going to appear on the screen momentarily that you can use to get to the order of service on your mobile device. If you're a guest today, please complete the visitor form either online or at the greeters table here in the lobby so we're better able to stay in touch. And the final logistical note, we will honor personal joys and sorrows near the end of the service today. So please send yours via email to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net, or you may write them in our Joys and Sorrows book at the back of the sanctuary, and I will speak them aloud for you at that part of the service. And do remember, even those of you connecting remotely today, you can participate in some of our worship rituals. You can light your own flame, whether you have a chalice or not. You can have a bowl of water with pebbles or stones and share in that ritual of honoring joys and sorrows. Hearty thanks to all of the staff and volunteers who are supporting this service today, both in front of and behind the camera. It's always humbling for me to take note of every single person I can think of who is doing something, and I know I will miss somebody every time. But today, at least, thank you to Sarah, Valerie, Kelly, Katya, Susan, Kayla, Ariel, Richard, Graham, Chris, Liam, Tim, Robin, Tom, Lily, and Mary and all of you unnamed who I forgot. Thank you all for contributing. So today's service is inspired by the fact that our state legislators are currently considering whether to propose an environmental human rights amendment to our state constitution. If this legislation passes the General Assembly, the proposed amendment will appear on our ballots in November of this year in the general election, and we voters will be asked to vote either for or against the constitutional amendment. Phil Webster and Mary Rogers deserve extra special thanks for their leadership in the matters that we are exploring today. They are matters not merely of conservation or so-called environmentalism. They're matters of human rights, justice, equity, and spiritual conviction. Phil and Mary convene a stalwart team of volunteers and justice seekers in our Congregational Climate Crisis Team. Phil serves as the UU Legislative Ministry of Maryland Climate Change Team's lead advocate. And Phil and Mary have educated me personally about the issues that we're addressing today, as well as mobilizing people of faith in Columbia and all over Maryland to act in addressing the devastating effects of the climate crisis. So thank you, Mary and Phil. It's not often that I feel inspired by the formal text of a piece of proposed legislation. It has happened before, but it's rare. Today, though, we open with words taken directly from Maryland House Bill 596. I invite you to hear these words as a call to service and a call to worship this morning. Whereas all living things are dependent on the gifts of a healthful environment, 
And whereas the full expression of human dignity is incompatible with a degraded environment, and whereas a sustainable, regenerative ecosystem and stable climate are essential to support a vibrant society and economy, and whereas access to a helpful and sustainable environment is a birthright of every person. Now, therefore, be it enacted by the General Assembly of Maryland that it be proposed that the Maryland Constitution read as follows. Declaration of Rights, Article 48. Every person has the fundamental and inalienable right to a helpful and sustainable environment. This right may not be infringed. The state shall serve as the trustee of the state's natural resources, including the air, land, water, wildlife, and ecosystems of the state. And the state shall conserve, protect, and enhance the state's natural resources for the benefit of every person including present and future generations. So may it be. Let us worship. And now I'm very pleased to invite Lily Bonilla and Mary Rogers to the chancel for our chalice lighting. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The mind's power, the strength of the hands, the reaches of the heart. The gift of speaking, listening, imagining, seeing, waiting. Any of these can serve to feed the hungry bind of wounds. Welcome the stranger, praise what is sacred. Do the work of justice or offer love. Any of these can draw the town the prison door, hoard, hoard bread, abandon the poor, obscure what is holy, comply with injustice or withhold love. You must answer this question. What will you do with your gifts? Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, Grace and mystery abide. There's an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there's injustice, anesthesia, um, or evil, 
there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their life as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and rage. The choice to bless the world can take you into solitude to search for the sources of power and grace, native wisdom, healing, and liberation. More, the choice will draw you into community, endeavors shared, the heritage passed on, the companionship of struggle, the importance of keeping faith. The life of ritual and praise, the comfort of human friendship, the company of earth, the chorus of life welcoming you. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting. Thank you, Lily. Thank you, Mary. And now will you rise in body or in spirit and let's speak together the words of our congregational covenant, these promises that we continue to make to and with one another. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now I invite you to greet one another, whether you're in the room or on Zoom. Go to gallery. Hi there. Morning, everyone. Morning, I'm your director of religious education and I use the pronouns she, her, and hers. And I'm so pleased to be here with you this morning. When I think about climate change, I get a little overwhelmed. It's a lot. And no, news stories tell us that me as an individual, my family, as hard as we try, we're making only a teeny tiny difference. And all the changes that I can make will never end climate change. Wow. That's kind of discouraging. Makes me sort of not want to try at all. But I found this book that you're about to watch. It's a true story about a man who made a difference. Maybe it was a tiny difference, but it was a huge difference 
for him and the creatures that he helped. And so he inspired me so much, I'm going to try to make a similar change to my backyard. I don't have a creek, but I'm going to make other changes. So enjoy this story, and as you watch it, think about the tiny steps that you can make, especially because this involves our seventh principle, the interdependent web of all existence, of which we are a part. And think about how you can make a difference there as well. Enjoy. Creek Finding, a true story, written by Jacqueline Briggs Martin and illustrated by Claudia McKee. An excavator is a machine that chomps dirt. Excavators dig holes for basements, trenches for water pipes, and paths for roads. Sometimes excavators help find lost creeks. How do they do that? How does a creek get lost? Especially a creek that started long ago with a spring that burbled out of the ground and tumbled itself across a prairie valley. The creek wasn't just water. Insects whirred in and around the creek. Brook trout grew fat in the creek, lunching on insects. Frogs chirped by the creek, ready for their buggy share. And birds watched at the streamside, hungry for bugs or fish or frogs. Well, the creek didn't lose itself. A farmer used a bulldozer to stuff the creek with dirt so we would have more space to grow corn. No water, no water bugs, no frogs, no birds, and no brook trout. The lost creek was quiet under the sun. Years later, a man named Mike bought that field and the hillside. Mike wanted to grow a prairie in the old cornfield to partner with the sun and soil and grow tall grasses and flowers. One day, as Mike was out working, a neighbor came by and said that long ago, he had caught a brook trout in that very spot. A brook trout in a cornfield? No way! Mike knew there must have been a creek on that prairie. He wanted to find the creek, make a place for brook trout and birds, bugs, and frogs. He said he would call it Brook Creek. Others laughed, said Mike's plan was foolishness. Lost is lost. But someone gave him an old photograph, and he marked the creek's path. Then he called his friends who owned big machines. For five days, a bulldozer scraped, an excavator bit into the ground, carved holes, dug curves and runs, tamped rocks for the creek bottom. The excavator had found the old stream. Would water fill the path? Mike said the water remembered. It seeped in from the sides, raced down the riffles and runs, burbled into holes, and filled the creek. But a creek isn't just water. It's plants and rocks, bugs and fish and birds. Mike and his friends tucked cordgrass and other green shoots into the creek banks. Three summers grasses grew. When the creek bed needed more rocks, Mike had a problem. 
Heavy trucks crossing to the creek would press deep ruts into the ground and kill the new prairie plants. How could he get more rocks to the creek? Mike waited until winter. When the ground was frozen hard, cement trucks lumbered across the prairie and emptied their rocks into the creek, and they left no ruts. Mike didn't want to just drop the rocks in the creek. Cement trucks have chutes, so he could put the rocks exactly where the creek needed them. Rocks settled in, plants grew, Insects flew in, whirring and buzzing and laying eggs in the water and on the grasses. After two more years, small fish called sculpin swam into the creek. And that was the good news. Sculpin survive only in clean, clear water, the same kind of water that brook trout need. Where did the sculpin come from? Sculpin survived in the small space at the head of the spring. They swam into Brook Creek from the spring. Time for trout. A pickup truck carried the tub that held the trout. Mike and his friends laughed in the morning air. They lugged and dumped buckets of finger-sized fish. Perhaps Brook Creek laughed too, tickled by trout. Water was right. Food was right. Trout snapped up bugs and grew for two summers. In the second fall, the rocks provided perfect places for the fish to lay eggs. Winter came. Would the eggs survive? Snowstorm, ice storm, cold winds. And then, one late winter morning, fish squiggles, no longer than a thumbnail. Squiggles grew into fat trout who laid eggs in turn to hatch more generations of trout at home in Brook Creek. If you went to the creek with Mike, you'd see the water. But a creek isn't just water. You'd see brook trout and sculpin. You'd hear the outdoor orchestra, herons, snipe, bluebirds, yellow-throat warblers, frogs returned home, and insects thousands and thousands and thousands of insects. You'd hear the water ripple and burble, maybe a chuckle, maybe a thanks to Mike and the big machines that found the creek. The end. Will you rise again in body or in spirit? We're going to sing together the hymn, Our World is One World. Or is that what we're singing now? I'm not even looking. No, we're singing For the Earth Forever Turning. <laughs> the lyrics are on the screen. Thank you, Tom.
please be seated? So the first part of this morning's message, or I should say not the first, the next part of today's message, will be a speech delivered last month, I believe, at the League of Conservation Voters Maryland Environmental Summit. The speaker in this video is Stacy Hartwell, who serves as chair of the Environmental and Climate Justice Committee of the Maryland State Conference of the NAACP. In the video, you're first going to see Rabbi Nina Beth Carden, who is the co-founder and director of the Maryland Campaign for Environmental Human Rights. And then you'll see Ms. Hartwell's speech that lays the groundwork for why this constitutional amendment is a matter not only of justice and equity, but of life and death. Wonderful and inspiring to be here this evening with everyone. I am Nina Beth Carden, the director of the Maryland Campaign for Environmental Human Rights, and I have the distinct honor of introducing the wonderful Stacy Hartwell, who will talk about the first priority bill to be presented this evening, that is the Environmental Human Rights Amendment. Stacy is a seasoned renewable energy consultant, having honed her expertise, her expertise while working for the energy giant Tesla. She's a devoted community advocate serving as the co-chair of the Environmental and Climate Justice Committee of the NAACP Maryland State Conference and a board member of the Maryland League of Conservation Voters Education Fund. Stacy is the kind of champion we all want on our side. We talked about champions before. Maggie McIntosh is certainly one of our great champions. Well, Stacy is a champion as well, and we are delighted that she is on our side, the side of all of us. Stacy, the floor is yours. Thank you, um, Rabbi Cardin. Good evening. Um, I'd like to begin with some important statistics from a recent poll conducted on the Maryland Environmental Human Rights Amendment. These um, independent professional poll results are based on feedback from a representative sample of Maryland voters. The poll yielded the following. Erin, will you bring up the slide, please? Um, thank you. As you can see, more than 75% of Maryland voters support this amendment. In full disclosure, 10% oppose it and 15% were, weren't sure. If the election were held today, the majority of Maryland voters would vote for protecting this right in the state constitution. Maryland's went on to share that if this issue were on the ballot, more than half, approximately 52% of our, our voters said it would make them more likely to come out and vote. This amendment is a unifier. It speaks to the majority of our voters. The clear takeaway here is the amendment is not red, it is not blue, it is clearly purple. As a footnote, I'd like to highlight the margin of sampling error on this poll is not greater than plus or minus 3%, and that puts it at 95% confidence level. In other words, these results are credible. You know, the amendment formally recognizes environmental rights as civil rights with defined protections which enables communities impacted by environmental justice to seek support and intervention. If ever there was a cry for environmental support from our constituents, it would be for this amendment as it aligns and it, it dovetails with the mission of the clim climate and environmental movement and the best interests of our residents. You know, unfortunately, race is still the number one indicator of where toxic and polluting facilities are located. This is not an alternate fact. Pollution and other environmental hazards are concentrated in BIPOC communities of color, regardless of economic status. 
Maryland, unfortunately, as you've heard, you know, is no exception. The state is supposed to protect, preserve, and enhance our natural resources, and therefore, they are to be held responsible to ensure our well-being as stewards of these natural resources, not for the interest of corporations, shareholders, but to us, we the people. Over 100 constitutions around the globe have adopted a human right to a healthy environment. Several states in the U.S. have adopted this as a human right. It's time, as you've heard earlier, it's time Maryland takes a lead on this amendment. It's time we step up, be accountable, and assume a leadership position once again. I'm not speaking to you in a vacuum. I'm a native Washingtonian. I went to fifth through 12th grades in Prince George's County. I now, as of 2018, live, live and work here in the county once again. While at Tesla, I had the privilege of speaking with countless Maryland homeowners, small businesses, community and church organizations on their views on renewable energy and state and local government approaches to considering their best interests in environmental decisions. It was through my outreach with Tesla that I was able to understand the full scope of environmental issues confronting communities of color, linguistically isolated communities, and low and moderate income communities, and the lack of power pun intended, these communities felt they had around their ability to navigate being able to address large-scale compounded environmental impacts. And the overwhelming response has been they feel lost, under, and misrepresented on the environment. We are not only talking about protecting the environment, but we are also talking about the impacts on other tangential consequences of a contaminated environment, for example, property values. As we all know, amongst the most valuable assets a family has is their home. The value of homes impacts legacy wealth, how a family builds wealth and how they can leverage that wealth as the foundation for long-term financial well-being and a healthy financial legacy for generations to follow. I don't know if many of you have been following or heard of the recent Channel 9 expose on communities in Brandywine asking why their, why their real estate values for their property is less than that of similar, similar communities in Montgomery, Howard, and other predominantly white communities. You can Google it. But, you know, ask yourself, could one of the contributing factors be because Brandywine, Prince George's County, along with Baltimore City, Curtis Bay, Lothian and Anne Arundel County, Hebron and Wicomico County and the like, bear the brunt of the polluting services that make this state function? The state, as many as, you know, as many other states have, um, they've used predominantly BIPOC communities as dumping grounds for all the polluting services needed to help run this state and have given them absolutely no consideration for their sacrifices, um, for the sacrifices they've made to keep this state functioning. And to add insult to injury, they continue to pile on more devastating infrastructure in, this, in these overburdened communities. Brandywine has more fossil fuel capacity than 99.9% .9 of the country, and it is 67% Black. And as if having the state's only sewage sludge incinerator, multiple landfills, sitting at the convergence of three major trucking routes, two of which have been dubbed diesel death zones, as well as not one, not two, not three, but four coal gas power plants within a 13-mile radius, wastewater dumping into the waterways, and sunny day flooding, as if all this isn't enough, they are now supporting Maglev, the gas pipeline on the eastern shore, the National Harbor Livingston Road Battery, Battery Energy Storage Station. You know, are they really going to allow permitting for this to be constructed in communities where people live? Those battery facilities are notoriously unstable. 
Those people are being treated at, over at Rosecroft are being treated like, you know, guinea pigs, lab rats. And all of this to save two cents on their monthly electric bill, really? These communities have the highest rates of deaths related to air quality in the country, the highest levels of ozone in the state, second in the nation. And yet these agencies persist in their devastation of these communities. How much is enough? We cannot continue to undermine these communities and still expect them to thrive. This legislation serves as an equalizer. It empowers organizations with the leverage they need to help make fair and equitable decisions concerning the environment. It is the tide that lifts all ships. Vice President Kamala Harris said we cannot achieve health justice, economic justice, racial justice, or educational justice without environmental justice. This amendment is the common thread that uplifts and helps remedy other civil rights issues. These issues are inexorably linked and it's time we acknowledge and act upon them. Um, before I close out here, I'd like to give um, a shout out to the sponsors of this amendment, those visionaries working so hard to give us the tools we need to protect ourselves and the environment. Um, amendment sponsors, Delegate Juanica Fisher and Senator Will Smith, um, um, earlier um, advocates for this, um, Eric Barron and Obi Patterson, and then Delegate Vaughn Stewart. You know, I, saying their names out loud is important. They are stellar examples of responsible leadership, they see the big picture and understand the foundation to the remedy to our environmental ills. They understand accountability as a tool of a civilized society. Quite frankly, we would like to think of all of our elected leaders as being catalysts to fostering a dignified human existence for Marylanders. In closing, um, Please lend not only your vote to this important amendment, but also your voice. Our legislators won't be concerned about any issue unless the people who elect them speak up. Please let them know how you feel about this fundamental essential, essential amendment. Um, we hope we can count on you um, um, for this amendment. And um, we have the voters who support this amendment. We have the environmental justice community unanimous, unanimously supporting this amendment. We need our legislators to stand, stand behind and support this amendment too. The time for the environmental human rights amendment is now. Thank you ever so much. I do not think Ms. Hartwell is worshiping with us today, but we will say thank you, Ms. Hartwell, for that speech. We're celebrating in part today that it matters how each individual acts. So we're going to pause now for our weekly ritual of offering sacrifices of our individual bounty so that this organization has the resources that it needs to be a force for good and good principles in the world. Your offerings will now be very gratefully received. If you're in the sanctuary, you may place cash or checks in the basket or everyone is invited to give by text or online. Thank you.
Your gifts, the poet wrote, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. The first job that I ever held in direct service of Unitarian Universalism before I finished seminary and was ordained into ministry was at the UUA headquarters in Boston, and I was working in the Faith in Action department. Faith in Action. For decades, this conviction that we must live out our values by acting in the world not simply stating a set of principles or values or beliefs, but acting on those principles, not simply as individuals, but by harnessing institutional power. This conviction has been so critical to our understanding of what it means to be faithful that we have had a department at the association's headquarters devoted to organizing and leading such efforts to put our faith into action. We affirm that faith institutions exist to care for one another, to nurture individual spiritual growth, to provide vehicles for connection and care among individuals, and they exist to build relational power so that our institutions themselves serve to bring justice and equity and healing to the world. This congregation, UUCC, exists not apart from the world, but in the world. And when we become aware of injustice in that world, we act to try to make it right. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. You heard clearly from Stacy Hartwell that environmental justice is necessary to achieve health justice, racial justice, economic justice, educational justice. And that is why we, as people of faith, are being asked to act, to do our part to get this environmental human rights amendment onto the ballot in November elections, so that the voters, 75% of whom support the amendment, can vote on it. But first, it needs to pass in the General Assembly, and our elected officials need to hear that their constituents support this legislation. As Ms. Hartwell said, race is the number one indicator of where toxic and polluting facilities are located. That is, pollution and other environmental hazards are located primarily in areas occupied predominantly by persons who are black, indigenous, people of color, regardless of their economic status. These communities bear the brunt of polluting services, services that keep our state functioning. And these communities, including people who are linguistically isolated, with low and moderate incomes, who are communities of color, are under and misrepresented in our legislature. They feel a lack of power to effectively address these large-scale, compounded environmental impacts. We cannot continue to undermine these communities and still expect them to thrive, as Ms. Hartwell says. As she noted, this amendment could serve as an equalizer, providing leverage to urge organizations to make fair and equitable decisions about the environment 
providing legal standing for residents of places in Maryland like Brandywine to seek redress and intervention for the environmental damage they've experienced. The amendment would give communities a legal tool to fight unfair burdens and allow individuals and organizations to sue the government for violations. Papa Hop Hopkins is co-founder of Panther Ridge Farm outside of Los Angeles, California. His words are displayed prominently on the site of the Maryland Campaign for Environmental Human Rights. Hop says, you can't have climate change without sacrifice zones. And you can't have sacrifice zones without disposable people. And you can't have disposable people without racism. Sacrifice zones. Communities where residents, usually low-income families and people of color, live in proximity to polluting industries or military bases that expose them to all kinds of dangerous chemicals and other environmental threats. The Climate Reality Project explains, one well-known example of a sacrifice zone is Cancer Alley in Louisiana a stretch of Mississippi River between New Orleans and Baton Rouge that got the nickname because of its concentration of dangerous petrochemical facilities. One community in Cancer Alley has a risk of cancer 50 times the national average, the highest in the country. While studies and information about how dangerous this pollution is have been available for years, more and more facilities continue to open in Cancer Alley. Research shows polluting plants are more likely to be built in areas where people of color live. The result, new studies show, is that industries responsible for 75% of air pollution hurt communities of color more. Tellingly, the statistic doesn't change, even across rural and urban areas or across income levels, meaning that in the United States, Black and Latino Americans, on average, breathe in significantly more pollution than whites. Exposure to this kind of pollution in sacrifice zones and beyond, in turn, combines with other factors to deepen inequity and racial justice. For example, during the COVID-19 pandemic, people of color have suffered disproportionately greater impacts than white Americans. Many factors contribute to this disparity, from more black and Latino Americans holding jobs that can't be done remotely, to the health impacts of climate change that also disproportionately affect people of color, including lung disease, asthma, diabetes, and heart disease. Your gifts whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. You can't have climate change without sacrifice zones, and you can't have sacrifice zones without disposable people, and you can't have disposable people without racism. The people who most desperately need the leverage, the legal standing, the intervention that would, could result from this constitutional amendment are not well represented in our worshiping community today. We are talking about communities where the unavoidable pollutants in the air, the water and the soil literally are killing the residents who live there. We are not talking about communities in Colombia 
or Ellicott City or Woodbine. Residents of Howard County mostly benefit from sacrifice zones. But as Phil Webster asks in his written testimony in favor of this amendment, how can there be justice and equity if one part of society is reaping all the benefits while another is paying all the costs? And how can we not, as individuals and as an institution, choose to do what's in our power to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations? adding our voices of conviction and support in favor of this environmental human rights amendment. The Maryland Campaign for Environmental Human Rights outlines a number of benefits that other states' constitutional amendments have already brought about. At the most basic level, an amendment acts as a guardrail to prevent the most egregious forms of harm. But also, there can be a ripple effect as more robust legislation in one state or country motivates others to follow. In addition to strengthening the legal rights of individuals and communities, it also upholds local government's right to make land use decisions and provides grounding for stronger environmental laws and regulations. And so I return to where I began with the reminder that this congregation exists not apart from the world, but in the world. And when we become aware of injustice in that world, we act to make it right. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. You've already been invited today to join fellow congregants after worship to discuss questions of environmental justice. I hope you'll consider doing that, especially those of you on Zoom. Join the climate crisis team at Freetown Farm next week. But also, there are some actions for individuals to take immediately today, this week. So I urge you to look at this service's sermon archive on the UUCC website after the, after the service ends for links to some direct actions that any of you can take. Or talk with Phil Webster or Mary Rogers, who are here and are willing to be contacted by you. Get connected with the Maryland Campaign for Environmental Human Rights. They have a whole take action page on their own website. Sign their petition. Sign up to receive action updates from our UUCC climate crisis team and or the UU Legislative Ministry of Maryland, and they will help you know when there's a need for immediate action. And very specifically, if you live in the district of, or perhaps for some of you are related to, a state delegate who serves on the Environment and Transportation Committee, write to them today to show your support for this amendment. This amendment needs a favorable report from this committee, but its chair is not a supporter of the amendment. So we need to encourage the other members of the committee to make it happen. District 13's delegate Jen Terrassa serves on that committee, and Jen represents many of you who live in Howard County. But for those of you outside Howard County, take a look at the ENT committee's membership and see if your delegate serves on it, and communicate directly with them. The late Unitarian minister Edward Everett Hale is credited with saying, 
I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. Let none among us refuse to do the something that we can do. And now, for just a little more added inspiration and encouragement, we're going to hear from a few of the younger members of our UUCC community who, with the help of our religious educators, Robin Slaw and Kelly Daniker, have added their voices to the UU Kids for a Livable Planet campaign in a video produced by Montana Minardis for, the, for that campaign, which is, being, which is using digital media to showcase the voices of children and youth as part of legislative testimony. So let's hear from Haley and Maggie and Margot and Samantha and Sebastian and Stephen. Protecting bees is a very important thing. There are so many things that bees can bring. They can do so much more than get nectar from flowers. They fly around and pollinate for hours. Nobody can stop this amazing power. Their population is slowly going down. We have to do something before there's none in this town. So let's get together and help the bees, and then we can live happily. Protect animals. You can eat fruits, plants, and vegetables. Help animals, don't eat them. Birds die from factory pollution. Then other animals would die without birds. I need a birdhouse that's important to, to take care of birds and other animals. So I'm going to do a vegetable garden and got a butterfly. I drew a picture of like a pretty earth and then if you take it off then there's the polluted earth. And if we keep on polluting then there won't be any natural things or streams that we can go visit. I'm Sebastian. I'd like to tell you about what I want Maryland to be like. See, last weekend I went to a national park and I went camping there with my friends on this island. And I got to see something, all this nature, and the water was clean, it was so clean, and we were able to canoe there, and there was like a bald eagle's nest not too far from us. We saw them fishing and flying around, and they were even raising their young inside this beautiful, beautiful place. And this is the Maryland that I want to grow up in. This is the Maryland that I want to live in. This is the Maryland that I want you to vote on. Please pass the laws to save the planet. To keep the environment healthy. So let's get together and help the bees. That polluted earth. I'm a UU kid for a livable planet. Vote for a better future. Thank you. Thanks, you, you kids. 
Will you now rise in body or in spirit? And we really are going to sing Our World is One World this time. Please join your voices and sing the verses that will appear on the screen. Our world is one world. What touches one affects us all. The seas that wash us round about the clouds that cover us, the rains that fall. Our world is one world, but ways of wealth affect us all. The way we spend, the way we share, are the rich or Thank you. You may be seated. Each week during worship, we honor personal joys and sorrows, not only by giving voice to them, but also by dropping individual stones into a communal bowl of water to represent the way that each life and each story ripples out and touches all of us and is held in our collective embrace. Trey, are you still willing to help me up here? Will you come and place stones for each thing that I read this morning. Thank you. And then during the music meditation following the prayer, you who are worshiping here in the sanctuary are invited to come forward in silence and place stones in honor of your own joys and sorrows. And one more tray for all of those things that we are holding unspoken among us. May we all know that we are held in love. Thank you. Will you join me now for a few moments of stillness and reflection and prayer? Great and Holy Spirit of love, of life, may we know we are held in a loving embrace by this earth, by this community, by ourselves, by that which is holy and unknown to us. May our aching hearts be healed. May our aching bodies be healed. May our minds be comforted. And may we be called into the world, acting on behalf of all of our siblings, whose lives are deemed a worthy sacrifice, when we know that that is not true. May we do our part 
for everyone to have a healthy home. And now we share just a moment of silence that each of us might know our own prayers. Blessed be. Amen. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. None of us alone can save the world. Together, that is another possibility waiting. Amen. See you next week, UUCC. Breathing hard of our remaining forest Within our minds the voice of those who came before us We're bound together in our struggles and our forces We rise for life From the deepest corners of our dying oceans We come with answers for relations that were broken We reclaim the that were stolen We rise For life Rise up Stop the violence Of toxic industries Rise up Failing politics Are a threat to humanity Rise up With people power we Build caring communities Rise up
desolation Facing collapse, the first step is reparations We want to breathe, so don't tell us to be patient We rise for life Rise up and stop the violence The toxic industries Rise up and failing politics Are a threat to humanity Grace the shower 